please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. It is the day after Christmas here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am hoping that you had had a great day with your family. Even if you're not celebrating, at least you could have enjoyed the day off with, with family and friends. And for everyone who is celebrating, that this is just a joyous time of year to remember what the season is truly about. So on that note, uh, we are going to have a lot to talk about today. Even though it is Christmas, you would think that the news cycle would be dying down, that we'd be able to relax and just kick back and talk about you know what are the great gifts we received this year were and, and what things that you know we are looking forward to in the next year a time of reflection unfortunately things are moving rather quickly in Washington and they're going to start moving quickly here in Georgia as as many of you recall we talked last week about uh, the upcoming litigation concerning the the house bill 826 where we're talking about whether or not you can carry on campus uh, various campus carry bills have been passed around the country things are moving forward we're seeing a lot of positive progress happening in gun rights and in individual rights and freedom across the board. And yet, in spite of this, we, we had the, the, the largest boondoggle, I think, in American history and the latest Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act that came out of Congress this last week where the Republicans in, in the U.S. House and Senate basically sold us a bill of goods saying that we need to give away the farm here to make uh, government work. And, you know, personally, I, I am all for government working if it's going to work for somebody. But at this point, it looks like government is working for itself on the backs of the people, and, and, and we're just being completely uh, put into such astronomical debt every year that it, it is undescribable, incomprehensible. And then on, on the back of that, we find out that, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that the president is going to be pushing for new gun control measures. Now, for for years, I have said that if the president was able to do any kind of gun control measure, he would have already done it, because this has been a top priority to him. He's been saying that it's been a top priority since day one. He's never gotten anywhere with it, and even with a Democrat-controlled House and Senate at the beginning of his term, he still was not able to get anywhere with it. So that tells me that there really isn't much that he can do with it. I mean, let's just look at this logically. Let's think about it, you know, down to the, the nitty-gritty of it, is if you want to do something... The only thing that's missing is the ability to do something in order to accomplish your goal. So although we, we know it's very clear that he wants to do this, it must be that he does not have the ability to, and otherwise he would have done it by now. So what's changed? And honestly, I can't think of anything other than that he's in the last year of his presidency. Now, I read a really great article on Yahoo News this week, and in the Yahoo News article, they were talking about last years of lame duck presidents, and what have they been able to accomplish? Well, George Bush's last year, when he was a lame duck, he watched the economy go off a cliff. Uh, Bill Clinton was impeached, and then we go. We can go all the way back to Woodrow Wilson, who in his last year suffered a stroke. I mean, it's not the kind of year that presidents look forward to, because there's almost nothing that they can accomplish. Yet, President Obama seems to think that this is going to be his year, that he's going to be able to do a whole bunch of things. And I recall him telling, I think it was 
Vladimir Putin. I, I'm not certain. Don't quote me on that. It maybe have been someone else, but he was telling somebody off off mic that when he got through this next election, this would be last election when he was running for president for his second term. Once he got through that, then you know it would be open season or or the gloves would come off because then he'd have nothing left to lose. And uh, that kind of mentality may have been more restrained coming into the last um, congressional election cycle because he didn't want to lose the Senate, but he lost it anyway. And so now he is a man who is sitting in the White House with nothing to lose, and he is turning his sights once again back to gun control, which is a frightening prospect. I mean, we think about the the power of the presidency, and if he wants to take away our rights, it, it is truly a daunting preposition. So... How could he do this? And I have heard some rumors this last week, which by the time this goes to air, and I'll warn you guys, you know, this being around Christmas time, these episodes are canned. But um, by the time this goes to air, this may have been filled out or substantiated or may not. But the rumors I'm hearing coming out of Washington are that the president's plan is to change the definition of a federal firearms licensee. Now, I used to work for ATF a long time ago. And when I was working for ATF, there was a big push to close down as many FFLs as possible. They wanted to concentrate the number of FFLs out there. And this was a, a kind of a departure from the way the FFL was created. So let's take a step back and and look at the history of FFLs in the United States to figure out what is going on today and how this is going to impact us. Okay? So... Back in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, in order to sell or purchase firearms, there really wasn't anything exciting you had to do. In the 20s and 30s, early 30s, there wasn't really much, if any, regulation of firearms whatsoever. They were sold through the Sears and Roebuck's catalog, and you could just order one, and it would come to your door, and there was nothing exciting about it. Then in the late 30s, there came the the problem that the, the government was having with weapons that they saw as undesirable. So... Sawed-off shotguns, sawed-off rifles, suppressors or silencers, and fully automatic weapons. These were being characterized as the weaponry of gangs, of undesirables, of people of ill repute, and that they did not want these weapons being massly available or widely distributed. Now, this goes against a lot of the advertising at the time. I remember quite vividly. I think most of you understand that I'm interested in cowboy action shooting. And I have this fantastic ad from the 19, late 1920s that it has a, a guy in full cowboy garb, right? He's got the 10-gallon hat. He's got spurs and chaps. He's standing on his um, wooden deck looking out on the range, and there are some bad guys coming on horseback. And you can tell because they've got black hats, and they've got bandanas over their faces, and they're riding towards him. And slung at, at the cowboy's side as he's going to defend his homestead is his trusty Thompson 1928A1, right? <laughs> well... In the 20s and early 30s, it was perfectly normal for people to be purchasing machine guns. And the Thompson was billed as the perfect gun for home's defense. I mean, if you think about it, it allowed you to have suppressive fire. I mean, it was a sturdy weapon, and it had a great appeal to people. But with the passage of the 1934 National Firearms Act, these became registered weapons. Now, you would think, okay, well, that doesn't have a great big impact on anybody, so now you have to register it. It's, it's no big deal. I mean, you just have to pay a tax to get your tax stamp. And today, people are buying those tax stamps left and right. In fact, I want to say that there was something like a half a million suppressors purchased last year alone. So, I mean, you think about that, take that times 200, that's, you know, some serious coin. And people are really interested in procuring these these items. But... 
the tax has not changed. The tax rate has stayed the same since it was passed in 1934. In 1934, uh, I, I need to double check, but I think gold was trading at about $20 per ounce. <coughs> if you think about that, sorry folks, if you think about that, and the implications of gold trading at $20 an ounce and a tax stamp being $200, that means that a tax stamp costs you 10 ounces of gold. Today, gold is about $1,400 an ounce. So let's take that times 10, and you get the tax being $14,000 on your firearm. So you, you can go and buy yourself a, a new suppressor for five $600, and then just add 14000 onto the top of it for your tax. That was the equivalency of what a tax stamp cost back in the 1930s. And so this wasn't just a way of, of regulating. This wasn't a way of tracking. This was a way of prohibiting. And the National Firearms Act fell under attack. I mean, it was, it was promptly challenged. Everybody, everybody accepted that it would be completely thrown out as unconstitutional because it ran afoul of the Second Amendment. And yet, when the appeal came up to the United States Supreme Court, the indigent defendants in the original case were nowhere to be found. They had not procured counsel. They were not entitled to counsel at that level, and the U.S. Supreme Court ruled it was constitutional with no competing brief to, to persuade them otherwise. And so began a long history from the 1930s on of firearm regulation in the United States. Now, following the assassination of John F. Kennedy, gun control again became a major push in the federal government. And this led to the 1968 Gun Control Act. Now, the, the Gun Control Act set up the existence of federal firearms licensees. And what the idea here was, was that people, just average people, should not be able to be ordering um, guns through the mail without having any kind of records being kept of where they were going or why. So a network of firearms licensees was set up so that you could apply for a license and then once you had a license, then you could conduct all sorts of business with, with firearms, and there was no big deal. If you didn't have a license, all you'd have to do to procure a firearm would be go to a licensee and purchase from them. So on the one hand, you have big businesses creating licensees, but also you have collectors, you have avid sportsmen, you have anybody who wants to still be able to purchase firearms through the mail. And for a while, federal firearms licensees were seen this way. And if, you know, your average Joe, some person on the street, wanted to purchase more than a couple of firearms in a year or didn't want to deal with the hassle, they would simply apply for a federal firearms license and then be exempt from all of the, you know, the rigmarole of having to go through uh, a firearms licensee to make their purchases. And for a while, it worked that way. But over time, this led to some regulatory Headaches, really. I mean, if you think about what ATF had to go through in order to keep track of all of these licensees that were being more and more all the time and everything that was going on with them, and the, the Code of Federal Regulations concerning firearms licensees kept growing. It just kept being more and more. There was always more and more regulations, more and more things that a firearms licensee had to do. And to keep track of this, ATF needed more and more agents, which is kind of a federal government thing, right? I mean, you create an agency and it always goes to try to expand its own power, expand its own influence and justify its its existence by having more and more work to do. So that's what was going on. Uh, folks, we are coming up on a commercial break, and we will be right back talking more about FFLs in just a minute. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. So when we took the break, we were talking about FFLs, and and their creation was through the 1968 Gun Control Act, and that allowed for you know the individuals to be licensed by the federal government so that they could can transact business interstate doing f- with firearms and allow them to purchase firearms through the mail and other aspects so that you know they can continue doing what they had always been allowed to do up until that point in U.S. history. So this was a major change, and as more and more people became licensees, more and more federal regulations were enacted by ATF to concern how the licensees had to work. Things like safe storage, record keeping, all sorts of different provisions came into place. And ATF, needing more and more people to regulate this, started seeking more and more funding and more and more agents and examiners to be able to keep up with all of the what was going on. Well, this led to a, a shift in perception of what a firearms licensee should be. Uh, coming into the late 1990s and early 2000, uh, ATF said, why do we have thousands of people who only purchase maybe one gun every couple of years as a firearms licensee? They're not really doing what we want licensees to do. They're not actively engaged in the business of firearms. They're just hobbyists who have this license and are not giving it up. And I liken this a lot to uh, what it's like to have a, a bar license. I mean, you go through so much to become a member of the bar somewhere that even if you don't practice there anymore and you move on, you still keep the license because it's just not worth letting go. And so this was happening with federal firearms licenses. People were not letting go. They got it. They held on to it. They held on to it forever, even if they weren't actively using it. And so ATF changed the definition. And they said that in order to have an FFL, you have to be engaged in the active business of buying and selling firearms. And so then they started going through and purging people who were not buying or selling very many firearms a year. Now, the the technical definition of actively engaged in the business has, has kind of morphed, and, and sometimes it seems like it's a little easier to get a, a kitchen table or tabletop FFLs. Some years it's a little harder. It depends on the which way the mood is blowing with, with the examiners at the time. But the shift and the, the, the point has been... The point has been to move away from a lot of FFLs being out there to being a relatively smaller number, easier to regulate, easier to watch, easier to check up on their paperwork on, and having more and more people go through the background check system. And that was something that also came in the uh, 94 assault weapons ban, uh, portions of which have uh, sunsetted, including, you know, the high cap magazine and and the ridiculous restrictions on on what AR-15s and AK-47s can look like in this country. But some provisions, you know, having to do with background checks still exist. So we're, we're looking at the background check system, having fewer FFLs, having more people buy through an FFL, more background checks in order to safeguard that people who are, are prohibited from possessing or purchasing firearms are not purchasing them. Overall, that's been the trend. So now we come up to the present day, and President Obama is trying to figure out some way to do something about guns. Now, it has absolutely nothing to do with terrorism. It has nothing to do with keeping America safe. It really only has to do with him being able to say he did something about the gun problem because he's seen it as a problem, and he's been an utter, complete, and total failure in doing anything that he thinks is reasonable or is necessary, and he does not want to leave his eight-year term in office with a 
a blight on his record where he had identified something as being a major problem and has done absolutely squat, absolutely nothing. He has done bow diddly about it in his entire term of office. So now he's trying to figure out some way. And he's been plaguing his staff since Sandy Hook to find a way for him to do something since Congress won't act. Now, we know that he has a pen and we know he has a phone and we know he's willing to use both of them to doodle some cartoons while talking on the phone. But the question is, what can he do legally about guns without Congress being willing to go with him? And even with Congress willing to give him trillions of dollars in the budget deal and bend over backwards in every single way, it does not appear that even this lackadaisical Congress is going to go along with him on gun control. So what's his options? Well, we're back to the executive orders. Remember, go big or go home, executive orders. We can just order something to happen. Problem is executive orders have to do with the federal government. So he needs to craft an executive order that will order just ATF to do something that will change the way that guns are purchased in the United States. So what does that leave? Well, as we've seen, the definition of who can apply for an FFL has changed. ATF has been working for years to constrict it. So fewer people get to have FFLs. Obama, I believe, is going to come forth and say that he wants to change the definition of an FFL so that it encompasses so many more people that we all have to apply to get FFLs if we're going to be able to buy or purchase guns. Now, there's going to have to be some some leeway so that you can have people who are not FFLs who are still purchasing. Otherwise, it would just be completely unworkable. It would become uh, so burdensome. But I've heard anything from three guns a year. I've heard maybe ten guns a year. I'm not sure where they're going to cut the line off. But they're going to say, if you buy or sell more than X number of guns, and I'm thinking it's three, at least that's what I've heard, uh, that you will have to have an FFL. Now... If they make that the rule, then you've got a really good argument to say that you should be qualified to have an FFL. And although I think that this is supposed to deter people, I think in actuality it's going to swamp ATF with so many applications for FFLs that it would be absolutely ridiculous for them to be able to police it. And so utterly backfire on the president. If this is indeed his plan, if this is indeed his way of bringing gun control to the United States is by mandating that we all become FFLs like we all became socialists a few years ago, uh, I think that this is going to be a very bad plan for him because what's going to end up happening is people are going to want to be FFLs. They're going to apply. They're going to show that they have a safe. They're going to put it in their garage. Or they're going to put it in you know their basement and say, look, I, I have everything I need to be an FFL. Your definition of FFL includes people who buy or sell more than three guns a year. I do that every year. So give me an FFL. Here's 100 bucks for the FFL fee. I want to be an FFL. And once I get my FFL, I can order all the guns I want off the Internet and have them mailed directly to my door because I'm an FFL. And this is going to blow the whole thing wide open. Suddenly it's going to be so much more work. And ATF is going to scream. They're going to scream out loud because they're going to need so many more people to keep track of the hundreds of thousands of FFLs across the country that they're going to say that it's impossible to keep up with it. They've been put in an unworkable situation. Now, this if this is the plan, 
it does have some downsides. The downside is is that you're going to have to get a license to be able to buy or sell more than a couple of guns. And it is an absolute constitutional infringement, and it should not stand. And the courts should strike it down in a heartbeat, especially since it's an executive action that does not have the advice or consent of Congress. Most of the time, the court is going to defer as a political question anything that Congress and the president does together. But if Congress refuses to act and the president acts alone, the court is much more, the Supreme Court is what I'm talking about when I say the court, the court is much more willing to get involved and to try to make a change in what the the president is doing. Likewise, if Congress passes something and the president is unwilling to do it, the court is, again, willing to get involved to stand up for Congress. And remember, we talk about co-equal branches of government, right? We have three co-equal branches. Well, that is not the way that this country was really set up. We have one superior branch, and then we had another branch, and then we had a branch that really didn't do much of anything at all. The branch that didn't do much of anything at all was the courts, and the courts used a, a court decision to bootstrap themselves up to be able to declare law unconstitutional, putting them on equal footing with the most powerful branch of government, that being the Congress. But the presidency, the imperial presidency, with the expansive powers, the presidents who have been trying to make the presidency much more powerful over the years, it still isn't. The presidency is there to enforce the will of Congress. When we have a war, Congress declares war and the president enforces their will. When we pass a law that certain people have to do things or people can't do things, the president enforces their will. But it's Congress that does everything. The president is is not really much of a head of state compared to a lot of other countries. And yet, now we see Congress just basically turning over and laying down and giving the president anything he wants, which is, it, it is a constitutional farce. It's something that our framers never imagined would ever happen. They figured that Congress would always be throwing around its weight, and they had the ultimate power. If the president was doing something the Congress didn't like, the, the Congress can cut off the funds. And that, that power, the exclusive power of taxation and funding is vested in the House of Representatives because while the Senate was was appointed by people from the state legislatures, the House was elected directly by the people and with the power of the purse, the House could stop everybody else from doing anything that they didn't like, giving the people the most authority in their own government. And yet now we're told over and over again, well, this was just, you know, this is what we had to give a little to get a little and we have to go along and we have to make government work, but that's not what the House is supposed to be doing. The the House is supposed to be dictating terms on the way that the government should be run, not just going along to get along. And I, I think our new speaker is completely bereft of, of constitutional history and the history of the United States if he doesn't know what power he holds to be able to force other branches of government to capitulate and to do the will of the people. And that is the point of the House of Representatives, is to do the will of the people. The Senate is supposed to be the, the saucer, the cooling off phase between the, the heat of the House and, and the executive action which will will promulgate and enforce the will of the Congress. And the Senate is supposed to be a deliberative body where things are kind of cooled and thought about. But here we see the Senate actually taking a firmer stance on things than the House has been. And, you know, we're coming up on another commercial break, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what Senator Rand Paul is proposing and how it would change what the President is going to try to do come the first of the year. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. We'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. When we took the commercial break, uh, we were talking for just a minute about um, the House and, and the role of the Senate 
and what Senator Rand Paul has been doing. Now, I'm looking at a story from TheHill.com from this last week. And The Hill's reporting that Senator Rand Paul is pushing for a vote to restrict President Obama's ability to enact gun control legislation. Quote, in the United States, we do not have a king, but we do have a constitution. We also have a Second Amendment, and I will fight tooth and nail to protect it, Paul said in a statement on Monday. Now, that is an impressive statement coming out of a sitting senator, someone who's running for president, too, although he's not doing terribly well in the polls, not compared to Donald Trump. But that's a bold statement. So what does he introduce? He introduces a new bill that would decree... Any executive action on gun control that either infringes upon congressional authority or potential, potentially violates the Second Amendment as advisory only until legislation that supported the action is passed by Congress. Now here, this should be a no-brainer, folks, for Congress to say, hey, we want more power. Should be a no-brainer. Congress should vote for that in a heartbeat. But then the president should try to veto it because he's the president and he doesn't want to give up his power. But then, since Congress is getting more power, you would think that they would have a veto-proof majority that could go back and enact the legislation to rein in the president and give themselves more power. This is balance of powers. This is the way it's supposed to work, is that we, we as separate branches, co-equal branches, right, we pull power towards ourselves and there's this constant struggle. Then, if they passed it with a veto-proof majority, because Congress wants the power, the president would probably go to the Supreme Court and say, hey, Congress can't do that. They can't order me what I can or can't say. And then the Supreme Court would make a decision on which branch of government was usurping power. Was the president usurping power by trying to make an order that violates the Constitution? Or is Congress usurping power by imposing restrictions on the president that are unconstitutional or, or, or beyond the scope of what the Constitution allows Congress to do to the president? It would be a great, great debate to have. But we're not not going to have it. And why are we not going to have it? Because as the Hill says at the end, and this is what boggles my mind, okay? Now, I, I am just, you know, kind of speaking off the cuff here, but I thought we had a Republican majority in both houses, right? That's what I thought. Here's what the Hill says. The legislation to stop faces an uphill battle in Congress where Democrats are likely to block it. Why would congressional mem- members of Congress, con- the congressional delegation of our state, your state, any state in this union, say, hey, we want to give more power to the president? They're Congress. They're supposed to be standing up for themselves and amassing power to Congress, not giving it away to the presidency. I can understand the president vetoing it, yeah, but every member of Congress. This is something that gives Congress more power. There should be 100 votes in the Senate and 435 votes for this in the House, without question, because it gives them power. And the only way to stop Congress from taking this power would be the Supreme Court from saying that they had overstepped their bounds, which I don't think the Supreme Court would do in this case, because Congress is simply protecting the Constitution. It's ridiculous. In so many ways, this is ridiculous. But kudos to Rand Paul for wanting to stop the president from issuing an executive order that would infringe on gun rights. Because that's what I see coming. I see that this is coming down the mountain, and then we're going to have a huge changes in the way we do things. And his, his push is to make it so that you cannot buy guns from your neighbor, that you cannot leave guns to your kids. And the, the swirl, the swirl of guns that are moving around without having to go through background checks is causing him fits at night because he wants 
truly gun registration and gun registration leads to gun confiscation and it is just about inevitable and it would violate georgia's laws to have a de facto gun registration like this we we have a law that says that you cannot register guns in the state of georgia now flip side how many mass killings have we had in georgia yeah, that's what I'm talking about. How many has California had? California has this rule in place that every sale has to go through a background check. Every single one. And yet there we see the mass killings, not here in Georgia. This has absolutely nothing to do with safety. It has everything to do with freedom and with a government that is afraid of its people. And that's what it comes down to. Mr. Obama, I'm going to give you the best advice I have ever given anybody. It's time to stop living in fear. You say that we need to not be afraid of radical Muslims. I'm telling you, you need to stop being afraid of your people. And if you are afraid of your people, if you are afraid of the American citizen who owns a gun and loves his family and loves God and loves making sure that his family is provided for, protected and safe. If you are afraid of that person, then you need to look deep inside your soul and figure out why you would be afraid of the greatest living entity in the world, the, uh, the free American citizen. If you are afraid of the American citizen, it has more to say about you than it has to say about American citizens. I am sick and tired of hearing about bitter clingers. Did you know that President Obama was interviewed this last week on NPR? I know most of you probably don't listen to NPR. I listen to NPR. I love hearing NPR because it gives me a lot of uh, perspective on the way the other side thinks. And it's sad that our national public radio has become the other side. But in truth, it often is. And here they were, Steve Inskeep, who had a wonderful jam session with the president, throwing him the softest of softballs to try to figure out where he stood and what was going to happen in this wonderful last year. And Steve Inskeep asked the president about his bitter clingers statement. And the president just was taken aback, and he went off on, on, on this tangent about if you're talking about certain segments of the Republican Party that are afraid of me, well, maybe I represent change they're just not ready for. Mr. President, we're not afraid of you at all. We are not afraid of you one iota. But you are afraid of us. That is why you made that comment about people who cling to their their Bible and their guns and and a fear of immigrants. Well, you know, the truth is, is we are not afraid. We are working to rebuild this nation rebuild it the way it's supposed to be, where we are an economic powerhouse, where people have individual rights and individual freedom, where government is non-intrusive, and you are working to do something else. And that is why you are afraid of us. You are afraid of us because we will stand up and undo all of the damage you have attempted, not succeeded, not succeeded, all the damage you have attempted to do in the last seven years of your presidency, all of the dreams you have for the final year of your presidency, which would damage, further damage this country, will be undone done, they will be driven back, and this country will be great again. We are a nation of exceptionalism. We are a nation that has brought freedom to the entire world, who has expound ideas of democracy that the entire world has adopted. The idea of Western democracies may have originated in Greece, but it was perfected in, in America, and every country on the face of the planet now has some form of democracy that is inspired by the United States and its, its example. And we will be that example in years to come, and we will be it again, and we will not be because we have Obamacare, it will not be because we have gun control, it will be because we allow people to have freedom, and freedom will prevail, and this next election will be a referendum on freedom instead of a referendum on people who want something for nothing. 
And that is where this country has gone wrong, is that there are too many people who want something for nothing, who are afraid of real work, and who want their government to provide for them. Every person who calls the government to take care of their problems instead of dealing with it themselves, instead of addressing the issue that needs to be addressed on their own, is part of the problem. And I get so sick and tired of people who turn to me and say, well, we need a law about this. We don't need a law about that. We have way too many laws in the books. We need fewer laws. We need to get rid of about two-thirds of the laws that are out there and just deal with things that are plain and simple and easy to understand. I am in favor of eliminating the IRS. I'm in favor of some sort of a flat tax. I'm in favor of changing the Constitution to require that the tax rate cannot be changed without a two-thirds majority vote. I think that the tax code should be should be laid out very plainly so that a 12-year-old can understand it. It should be simple. It should be easy. It shouldn't have a lot of loopholes. It should be very basic, and we need to scale back government until we can live within our means on that tax code. And, you know, they talk about, well, you know, we, we need so much money to be able to make things work. We need to make fewer things work so that we have the money to live on that we're making in. And that's the honest-to-God truth right there. If we could change the way that we see government, not as being the mother or the father, this is not the fatherland. We do not believe in a motherland. What we believe in is in rugged individualism that people can go out and do their own thing and create wealth and create jobs and create innovation and inspire the entire world. We have not, the world has not been inspired by Marxist-Leninism. The world has not been inspired to do more by communism. The world has been inspired to do more by American individualism. And we have gone off that track. We have gone off that track in so many ways. We have, we have started to, to fight wars that we have no business in. We have started to go down the road towards imperialism and decadence that the Rome, that Rome saw in ways that led to its decline and fall. I'm reading through William Gibbons' book right now about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. The, 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 the similarities are startling. Well, not really startling. Startling would imply that, that you can't see this one coming. The similarities are terrifying. I think that would be a better word for it, terrifying, because so many, so many different ways that the Rome had, had decadence and the loss of its national power and identity. You know, that's something else we hear talking about a lot right now is identity politics. Well, you know what, folks? We need to start identifying as Americans and back to our core values and the values where we accept people from other nations. I am not against immigration. I am not against anyone who wants to come to this country and be an American and, and wave an American flag and eat a hot dog and watch a baseball game or I guess a football game or maybe even now an MMA game. I guess that's becoming more the national pastime than football is because football has been having its problems this last week. Anyway, folks, we are coming up on a commercial break. When I come back, we're going to kind of wrap up this hour i hope that you've enjoyed the show with christmas and, and enjoying time with your families so we'll, we'll wrap things up in just a moment you are listening to georgiacarry.org radio with doug king and now back to georgiacarry.org radio with doug and jesse king Welcome back, folks. So we've been talking about the president's push for new gun control, uh, the looming threat of executive actions, possibly changing the definition of what an FFL is, opening a floodgate to ATF so that we can all become FFLs and order guns through the mail, which may not be a bad thing in the long run, um, and then the, the the dire consequences of that line of thinking. You know, folks... 
things are changing. Things are changing very rapidly. Things are changing rapidly nationwide, and they're also changing rapidly here in Georgia. You know, we're fighting against uh, a governor who won't stand up for House Bill 826. We're fighting against a legislature that is coming back into session. We have some good people here in the legislature who are going to push some things. But we got some people out there who are just flat out wrong and want to take away our rights and our freedoms, who want to impose reasonable restrictions on us such that we can't exercise a constitutional right. And there is no such thing as a reasonable restriction on a constitutional right. It's just, I'm sorry. You, you, if you have a right, a God-given right to do something, then a restriction is an infringement and shall not be infringed means shall not be infringed. So if you want to get involved, if you want to make sure that your children and your grandchildren are ex- be able to live in a free country where they can a- exercise their rights, where they can defend themselves in all places, you need to get involved. The only way to get involved in this state in a way that's going to be meaningful is to join georgiacarry.org. That way you know what bills are coming up, what legislative sessions are being heard, where to be, when to be, and how to be there, because this stuff happens so fast. I get to record once a week. I come in and tell you something's coming up next week. They'll change the day. They'll change the time. They'll move it around. They'll do it in the dead of night. And the only way you're going to be informed and be knowledgeable and be there is if you're getting the email alerts instantly from georgiacarry.org. And the only way you get those email alerts is by becoming a member. Go to www.georgiacarry.org. Top left-hand corner. Click join now. Pay 20 bucks for this year. Pay $500 for a lifetime. But pay 20 bucks this year. Get the, the emails. Be here. Be involved. Be ready. Be ready to move on that legislature when good things are happening and show your support. Be ready to swarm in on them when they're doing things that are going to infringe on your children's rights and make a difference this year. This can be a golden year for gun rights in Georgia if we are all active, if we are all involved. Georgia Carey has about 8,000 members. It's time to make it 20,000. It is time for this to become the organization that will move the entire state of Georgia. We have some things that are happening. I think next week we're going to talk a little bit more about reciprocity and maybe what the state of Virginia is doing to knock us out of reciprocity and the coming push for us to have mandatory education. Well, you know what my position on mandatory education is? My personal position on mandatory education is we absolutely need it. We need it to have it be mandatory gun education in high school, if not in middle school. And anything that they want to have for you to be able to get a license should be required. Required for graduation. If you don't take it and you can't pass that test to get the license, then you can't graduate from school. I think that that is an absolute prerequisite to being a free society. We've seen Israel do it. We've seen other nations do it. They do it by forced conscription to go into the military. I don't believe in forced conscription. I think that people should have a right to be pacifists if they want to, but there is no reason that you can have to be uh, in the military in order to know how to properly maintain a weapon, how to use a weapon, and what the laws are regarding weapons. So if you want mandatory education, Let's have it. Let's put it in school where it belongs, and every Georgian will have that background, and it will not be an issue when people want to have a license. But they're going to be pushing for mandatory education to get a license, and that that mandatory training is going to be an impediment for people who are low income, and that is an absolute shame. We should not be taking away rights from the poor just because that we want to make money or because we want to line the pockets of a special interest, especially people who are charging for these classes. So I, I think that that is something that is incredibly important. It is coming up this year, and it needs to be fought. It needs to be fought tooth and nail that these these bills be stopped in their tracks and that good, meaningful legislation is passed instead, not waste our precious taxpayer dollars debating things which are pointless or that infringe on our rights. 
Now, let's say you don't have internet access and you're listening to me across the airwaves here in downtown Atlanta. You can go to just about any gun show. There's one coming up in a couple of weeks in Marietta, I think, that's an Eastman's gun show. There's gun shows all over the place. Whenever there's a gun show, there's a georgiacarry.org booth. You go to that booth, you can meet up with a volunteer, not paid, not there trying to make some money, but someone who's there because they believe in the cause. You can meet up with them and join up right there, 20 bucks for the year. Or you can go to the Facebook page and find out when people are going to be having their uh, local chapter meetings and local chapter meetings are a great way to get involved you can find out what's going on in in the local area you can have some good food meet some friends have a time of fellowship and this is a a great way for you to know what's going on and where you can join up as well so join online join at a gun show join at a chapter meeting there are going to be festivals coming up in in january i know that there aren't very many festivals going on during between christmas and new year's because everybody's taking some time off to enjoy family and friends but when the festivals get rolling GeorgiaCarry.org will be there. Now, if you're listening to me on the air, that's awesome. If you're listening to me on your computer, that is also awesome, but you're using your data up, and I don't want to have that happen to you. Instead, what is your favorite radio station? What's number one on your dial when you push the button in the car? Well, when you push that button, that station should be carrying this show, and it's easy to do. Here's what you do. You go and you find out. You take that station's call letters, type them into Google or Bing or whatever, you know, tinfoil hat search engine you enjoy most, and find out who the station manager is. Call the station, say, you want to talk to the station manager. They will put you through, because this doesn't happen very often. You say, look, I listen to your station all the time. I love it. It's great format. We listen to it in the car. I also listen to GeorgiaCarry.org radio every week online. I want you to start carrying GeorgiaCarry.org radio. I think it's a great show, and I would listen to it if it was on your station. Then... Shoot us an email, radio at georgiacarry.org. When you shoot us that email, tell us who the station manager was and what the station is. We'll do the rest. We'll follow up on your conversation, get a hold of the station manager, and work to syndicate this show on your station so that you can listen to it and save your data. So, folks, I I hope that this has been profitable for you. I hope that you can see kind of the history of what FFLs are in the United States, how they work, why they were created, the shift from the, the 60s up to the 90s where FFLs were were becoming less and less prevalent, where it was being centralized, and then the possibility that President Obama was going to open the floodgates and make it so that everyone can be an FFL again. What the ramifications are for that for the regulatory agency, I don't even dare fathom at this point. But I can tell you this. If I could be an FFL today, I probably would. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who would say, you know, if I didn't have to quite, if I didn't have to worry about being in the business of firearms, if I was just having to worry about safe storage, which I have anyway, yeah, I would go ahead and, and instead of paying 20 bucks per transfer, I'd pay 100 bucks to be an FFL and be able to just order them straight from gun broker and have them mailed to my door and never have to go out again. I mean, I, I think that that is going to be a trend that the president has not even envisioned when he's talking about changing the definition of an FFL. So that's an exciting thing. We've got a lot coming up in the legislature this year. We've got a lot going on in Congress. This year is going to be a rip-roaring year. We've got issues that we're going to talk about coming up with with other states denying reciprocity, a change in the way that they look at training. Uh, It is really a terrific time in both meanings of the word to be a Georgia citizen, to be a member of Georgia Carey, to be an American who loves freedom and being able to to exert your rights. So I hope that you enjoy this Boxing Day. I hope that you uh, are able to 
pick up all the wrapping and, and bunting and bobs that have gone flying as the kids went through their toys. I hope that you are able to enjoy this weekend and, and everything that is going on and to be able to take a break from some of the dire consequences that are rolling through our Congress. But, folks, after this week of rest, after this week of reflection on this last year, we're going to be coming into a busy season. It is time for us to get to work. Come January 1st, we need to put our shoulders to the grindstones. We need to get to work on our legislature. We need to get to work in our Congress. We need to make changes happen. We need to work for freedom. We need to work for equality. We need to work against the radicalism that is taking over and, and to bring back common sense. I am so tired of hearing the president talk about common sense gun control when the only common sense thing about gun control is allowing the people to exercise their freedoms and to defend themselves. Folks, <clears throat> in the end, it comes down to just two things. One, there is evil in this world. And two, how or what are we going to do about it? How are we going to stop it? What is there that we as an individual can do? And while we can do great things as individuals and individualism is the hallmark of what makes America great, we also must come together and, and be able to speak with one voice on these core issues. And that is what groups like GeorgiaCarry.org do. That is what groups like the NRA bring to the forefront is that we can bring, speak as with one voice with thousands of people standing behind us that will influence even the most hard-hearted and, and deeply rooted politician to the core. And it is time for us to exert that mil- might, to exert our voice, and to be active, and to be involved, and to be engaged. We cannot merely sit on the sidelines anymore and expect things to change, expect the world to improve, because there are forces at work that are actively going to destroy everything that this country has been built upon. At the beginning of this show, folks, I said that what the president has done is not the end. We are not at a point where it is too late, but if we stand by, if this generation, if my peers stand by and say nothing and do nothing, it will get to the point where it is too late. It is too late for our children and our grandchildren, and they will not know the freedom of our grandfathers as they fought in World War II and in Korea. And that is just the honest-to-God truth on what is going to happen. It is time for us to do something, and that's something that we are going to do is to make a difference in our legislature and in our Congress. Folks, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy Christmas. We will be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.